What is up, everyone? Welcome into the Fight HQ preview for UFC Vegas 75, which goes down tomorrow night there inside the UFC Apex. Of course, the main card, I believe it's 7 p.m. Eastern time is the main card. 9 p.m. is your start for the main card there on ESPN. Of course, headlined by Jared Cannonier and Marvin Vittori. So we look forward to checking this fight card out with you. Of course, as always, I am joined by my guy, Pete Rogers Jr. What's going on, Pete? What's up, bro? What's going on? What's going on, everybody? Um interesting card and uh hopefully we can, we can take it down with our team and uh, our analysis this week yeah you know that, that's one of those things as I, I was thinking about this fight card pete is like you know yeah on paper it's not the most exciting fight card which we seems we're getting more and more of these but mm-hmm. it is a way for us to make money where, whether you're playing on DraftKings, maybe where you're playing on fanduel maybe whether you're you know laying some bets whatever your sports book may be but also what you can do with this fight card is especially on the betting side is you can tag it up with some bellator and pfl bets we'll talk about bellator and pfl right at the end of the show but i, I think that is a great way if you're looking from the betting side of combining these three cards you know maybe if you're looking for that three or four fighter parlay you know combine these three cards together just don't try to get off one card yeah exactly and uh it's a weekend full of mixed martial arts which i of course love um and uh, if you pick your spots correctly it's going to be a profitable week because even when you combine some of these massive massive favorites that you have complete faith in across several cards you can actually find some some awesome parlay pieces and and build a pretty solid parlay that you're confident in. Yeah, there, there's a, uh, as I mentioned, we'll, we'll talk about this in the show. There are some fights uh, lines over on the Bellator card tonight that do interest me. Um, there is one line on Bellator, or excuse me, on PFL betting underdog that uh, does stick out to me. But of course, there are some big uh, betting favorites over there at PFL. But I, I do love this version of, of PFL this part of the season because it's a winner go home for all these fighters. And so, uh, you know, there's going to be a situation where a fighter knows they got to go out there, get a first round finish, a second round finish to have an opportunity. And of course, if I was say coming to this PFL season, that Brent Laughlin and Chris Way would not be in the playoffs. I think a lot of people would have called me crazy, and especially when I said, oh, and Bubba Jenkins will be the number one seed in the playoffs. I think a lot of people would have called you crazy. But, of course, we're here to talk UFC Vegas 75. Of course, our contest on DraftKings is already live. It's right in the description of this show. So just click that link. Join our contest over there. It's a $10 entry-free top three uh, places. Do play out. Always a great time. Of course, join our Discord channel as well. Totally free to join. Great conversation I have over there. Of course, I know we've already got some questions in on this fight so we'll get to those questions uh, towards the end of the show. But Pete, let's get right into it. We got the main event: Marvin Vittori and Jared Cannonier. Marvin Vittori, a minus one twenty-five betting favorite, plus one hundred five for Cannonier uh, on DraftKings. Eight thousand for Vittori, a two hundred for Cannonier, and then on FanDuel, Vittori is nineteen dollars and Cannonier is eighteen dollars. Pete, what's your thoughts? I mean, it's a close fight, right? And it's lined appropriately. Uh, you have Jared Cannonier, who uh, early on in his UFC career dabbled between multiple divisions. Um, his power was shining through in a ton of different matchups and he's been, become more of a methodical, uh, smart fighter, uh, inside the octagon that, that's okay with going the distance. So he has good volume, good striking, uh, still has really, really big power for the division. Um, can defend takedowns at a decent clip, but obviously if you're intelligent, you're, you're not looking to, to stand and trade with Jared Cannonier on the outside. Uh, picking up a split decision over Sean Strickland to me is impressive. I do think that Sean Strickland is a very, very uh, well-rounded athlete. Um, it was a close fight, right? And split decisions going going the distance, back-to-back five-round fights, uh, losing to Israel Adesanya, and then that most recent one, victory over Sean Strickland. So you know that Cannonier can go five. Uh, the, the one question is, can he keep Marvin Vittori off of him? Because Vittori should look to pressure him. Um as of late, though, I thought that Marvin Vittori looked pretty poor in his most recent performance against Roman Delidze. Um, Roman's a guy I haven't been big on, and I've I've picked incorrectly in a lot of his fights. But hopefully, you know, thankfully, Marvin Vittori was able to go out there and steal a close decision over uh, Roman Delidze there. But it was a little interesting that that you had uh, Marvin Vittori gun shy at times and unwilling to engage in any grappling, and obviously that's because of the jiu-jitsu pedigree that Roman Delidze has. But um, I don't know. I still felt like Marvin Vittori could have put a well-rounded performance out there. Um, I thought that he probably projected to have a better striking advantage than what was shown in that contest because Roman Delidze made it very, very close, and he has very dangerous power. So um, 
I got to tell you, if, if Vittori goes out there and just strikes with Jared, Jared Cannonier, I do not like that strategy. He can win, yes, but I think that's working right in Jared Cannonier's wheelhouse. And because of that and because of my little hesitance with uh, his fight IQ at times, um, you know, he's a smart fighter, but I, I feel like he can get lured into just striking, especially when he's been looking to fill that gap in his training so much. So it's a lean towards Mar- Marvin Vittori in hopes that he goes back to his wrestling slightly. Um, and just makes it an MMA fight instead of just a kickboxing contest. Because the longer it is on the feet, the longer that you are playing with fire with Jared Kennanier on the feet. So slightly towards Vittoria, 8,000. The price point at five rounds, it makes it kind of hard to get away from. I am going to get away from it in some of my lineups. A large majority of the field will be attracted to this fight. We just got to hope for six other 100-point finishers on on the card, and I definitely think it's possible. It was more possible when we had 14 fights, but now we're down to 12 and slim pickings when it comes to underdogs. So I'll, I'll take a shot on Marvin Vittoria at 8,000. And I'll let everyone know right before the show, I was telling Peta that I really did not feel like this is a fight that you have to prioritize. I mean, I understand that more times than not, I mean, probably eight out of 10 times, we're probably going to prioritize a main event, especially at this price point. But to me, like, and, and I'll throw this at you because I just kind of feel like this fight might play out against the fence for a lot of it. I mean, it could. And, you know, the, the issue is, like, even if it does play against the uh, against the, the cage for a little bit, you can still get some octagon control. And uh, some control time really adds up, especially just volume. Like, total strikes landed. Whether they're just awful strikes to be like Vittori still scored 122 in his fight against Paulo Costa. He only scored one out of five takedowns. So I'm going to get away from the fight, but I'm a little nervous to get away from it as well, just because of, you know, five rounds is difficult. You know what I mean? It's very difficult to, to perform poorly, but sometimes you have guys, you know, just staring in the mirror a little bit, a little gun shy, uh, worried about getting knocked out. So it's a lower volume five round bout. We'll have to see. Um, but I, I would say that probably in 60% of my lineups, I'll have the fight, maybe even 70%. And just to get different, I'll, I'll take 30% chances that six other fighters outscore the main event. And, and I think when people you know look at the stats, and I think they see a Sean Strickland got a takedown against Jerry Kanier, yeah. the thought process would be Marlon probably get down. Spencer, I appreciate your question over there, asking about uh, cheap plays over there on Fanduel. There is one cheap play that uh, I would I would like to get to on Fanduel. We'll talk about that as we get on. But Pete, before we move our next fight, you know I'm on Twitter, oh. and I happen to see our good old buddy Greg Bello asking if you're in Dagestan training. <laughs> Yeah, Coach Greg, you saw that. Coach Greg, we, we put a clip out, and, and my coach, Greg Ribello said, hey, you, are you training in Dagestan or something? Uh, he hasn't seen me in a little bit since he's moved down to Florida. So, uh, yeah, I think that he would be quite surprised at, A, how well I can grow a beard now, and B, Pete the Heat is not a 145er anymore. So, <laughs> Yeah, I, I, if you're seeing 146 on the scale – I'm, I might start. I'm. I might start asking some questions. I think my. Fr- I think one of our our friends from the show messaged me on Instagram the other day. I think it's Miguel. I, I I'll have to check. But uh, he somebody. I think it was Casey O'Neill posted about a 135 or 145 opportunity, and I messaged him back. I was like, bro, I'd have to chop my, chop my leg off. There's no <laughs> way I'm making that. So uh, we laughed a little bit, but yeah. So it'll be 55 or 70. I'm still debating, but um, you know. It, news will hopefully be soon. Hopefully, hopefully. Now, our co-main event features a 11-1 to 1 betting favor. That is Armin Sarukian taking on Joaquim Silva. Joaquim Silva is a plus 700 betting underdog. Uh, Sarukian, 9800 on DK, $23 on FanDuel. And then Silva is 6400 on DK, $12 on FanDuel, Pete. Yeah, so, I mean, I think we're at historical, you know, I think we made history where Armin Sarukian – Priced at 9800 I don't recall anybody being that high. Um, I think Hamza Shemaev was close to that, but 9800 is ridiculous. Um, with 14 fights, I think it was closer to a no-brainer to avoid him in just hopes that you know the 110, 120 is not enough and the salary kind of boxes you out of other lineup creations. Now that we're down to 12 fights, it's a little compelling of an argument where it's like, all right, well, I know it's 9,800, 
But if I pick my underdogs correctly, I probably do have enough salary to come up with a balanced lineup. So obviously I like Armin Saruki in here. Does he get a first or second round finish? Does he have a decisive decision? We shall see. If he wants to, he can take down Joaquin Silva and just ragdoll him. And that type of takedown uh, ceiling is why he's priced at 9800 uh, seven of 21 takedowns in a three round bout most recently against Demir Magulov. Um, he's attempted 12 plus takedowns numerous times in the past. I mean, he, he's just a, a fantasy darling here. Um, but even when he scored seven out of 21 takedown attempts against Demir Magulov, it went the distance and he only scored 98 fantasy points. We need him to ragdoll Joaquin Silva and en route to a finish or just get a quick win bonus. But even then, it's it's kind of difficult to pay off 9,800. Joaquin Silva is just a complete, you think that you know he lands a lucky shot because he has one way to beating Armin Saruki and it's by landing a powerful, powerful knockout blow. I do not see it happening. Lightning can strike though. So, I mean, single digit ownership as it should be. And I actually think it's right where it should be. I mean, I'll probably throw him in like maybe one or two lineups just to get completely different. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't foresee him pulling off this massive, massive upset over one of the best lightweight prospects in Armin Sarukian. Yeah, I mean, I, I think for Sarukian, this matchup, there's not really a lot to gain here. I mean, obviously, the yeah, going out I, there I and getting – out there going out there getting a paycheck, obviously. I mean, the only and me and Pete were talking about this right before the show. I mean, the only thought would be is if you're gonna take a flyer on Silva is you're just hoping maybe for you know, he just comes out, blitzes early on and says, Hey, I'm I'm gonna try and, you know, just you know, knock this guy's head off. But, you know, it on Saruki is much easier to get to on FanDuel at twenty three dollars. At ninety eight hundred on DK, man, you're gonna have to go dumpster diving some I mean, and look, maybe it's a, a Lucas Almeida. Maybe it's a Nicholas Dalby. Uh, maybe it's a Dan Argetta. I mean, you're going to have to get down there if you get to that. I mean, like, to me, if I'm hand-building a GPP lineup, I don't think I get to Sarukian. Cash, I think, is a totally different story. Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, I just think for cash, you take the points and you move on. Um, I just I, – I think it's kind of crazy that Sarukian's 6-2 and two in the UFC – Lost the decision, arguably, to Mataj Gamrat, um, and his and then his debut against Islam Mahachev. I mean, Joaquin Silva is the worst fighter that Sarukian has fought in the UFC. Mm-hmm. He debuted against Mahachev, OAM, Davi Hamosh, uh, Matt Frivola, Jagos, Alvarez, Gamrat, Ismagulov, and now they give him Joaquin Silva. It seems like backwards matchmaking. Um, but it could just be a guy. Maybe nobody wants to fight Sarukian, and it's just somebody that said yes to the opportunity. So uh, go out there, earn a paycheck. Don't lose stock in this in this fight, though. You, you can't just get a win. You have to get a finish, and you have to get rid of Joaquin Silva because this is a massive step down in competition, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, I was just looking you up. So I feel like if you're going to have Sarukian, you probably didn't have to get to the main event. And so if you let's just say your combination was Sarukian Vittori, then for your final four fighters, that leaves you eight thousand fifty dollars average remaining per player. So it just kind of gives you an idea. If you are going to go that route, but Pete, you bring up a great point. Like if if you're rostering Sarukian in a GPP, hundred twenty has to has to. There's no he has to unless the rest of the card is like unheard of stinker DFS scores. You know what I mean? Like, because it's still all relative. And if the other 9,000 options lay an egg or they, they score 90 points, that 120, 115 could be enough, but it's still too much salary to eat up. You, you need a massive, massive ceiling performance. So I'm completely okay with getting away from it in more than half of my lineups. Appreciate everyone tuning in for this episode of Fight HQ as we're previewing UFC Vegas 75. Be sure to smash that thumbs up button if you happen to watch this on YouTube. Subscribe to the channel. Hit that notification bell so you know, of course, we're here every Friday at 2 o'clock for the most part. Sometimes the time may differ. To, uh, you know, Pete asked me about doing the show on Thursday this week, but unfortunately, uh, I was unable to do the show yesterday. But, you know, for the most part, we're here Fridays at 2 p.m. Of course, you can always check out our show uh, via podcast, via podcast channels, whether it's Apple, Spotify, wherever that may be, or right here on YouTube. We appreciate everyone tuning in. Next up, we 
got Christian Duncan taking on another arm. This one's Arm Petrosian. Arm Petrosian is a plus 126 betting underdog, minus 150 for Duncan. Over on DK, A600 for Duncan. Petrosian, 7600. And on FanDuel, Kind of interesting uh, lines over here on FanDuel on this one. $16 for Duncan, $15 for Projan. As I look at that on FanDuel, I'm like, oof. I think if you're playing FanDuel, I think you got to prioritize this fight. But this, I think, is interesting is, Pete, I, I would say this is, can Petrosian deal with the striking of Duncan? Yeah, so, I mean, it's a it's a tailor-made matchup for both guys. I mean, like, Armand Petrosian's constantly having to defend takedowns and keep the fight on the feet. And the same thing goes for Christian Duncan. Everybody wants to take him to the mat, or they should they should work to do so because um, if you stand and trade with Christian Duncan, he's a little too um, he's a little too diverse on the feet, and he can give you tons of tons of problems. So, very unique matchup between two strikers, and you know I love it. Uh, Armin Petrosian, you know I I don't expect him to lace up any wrestling shoes. He's only attempted one takedown, and that was against AJ Dobson, but. When you get hit and you get hurt, things change, and you could look to become a wrestler in a striking matchup. So um, I don't foresee Christian Duncan looking to do so against Armand Petrosian. This is where Duncan can go out there and showcase his skills, show, showcase his diverse kicking attacks as well. Um, very, very tricky. More of a low-volume but high-finish upside fighter in Christian Duncan, whereas Armand Petrosian will probably be the more steadier of the two throwing out more volume. He's thrown out over 200 significant strikes in two decisions inside the UFC. Once against AJ Dobson, he scored 77 in that unanimous decision victory. And then in his debut, he did beat Gregory Rodriguez and scored 81 because he threw 231 significant strikes. And, you know, he's not afraid of, of biting down on that mouthpiece and throwing, but I will have to side with the savviness and the slickness of Christian Duncan. I think it's a tailor-made matchup for a striker. You, you want this type of stuff. Yes, give me a striker. Let me go out there and prove that I'm one of the best in the world when it comes to that art. And I think Christian Duncan's going to do so, whether he knocks him out or just picks him apart. 8,600 Christian Duncan, I think he's a solid play. But with all that being said, sometimes volume can you know just win you some rounds and you don't find that knockout shot. So you could do worse than a Petrosian underdog, but I'm, I foresee a Duncan finish here at 8,600. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's it's an interesting matchup, and I think from GPPs, I don't mind getting into it, but the one thing you do have to mention that Arm Petrosian's got to deal with, an 8-inch reach disadvantage. Going to have to do something. So you either got to get on the inside, uh, make it ugly, clinch against the cage. Anytime you clinch, right? Like we drill so much clinching and so much mm-hmm. cage work where like you don't even mean to go for a takedown, but it just because of all the drilling you do in the in the training room, sometimes you start to do so. So I wouldn't be surprised if they just start to chain chain wrestle a little bit, and then they get back to, oh man, okay, let's strike from distance. Next up, we got a matchup that we, we had a question about cheap FanDuel plays, and this was a fight that I was referring to, and that is Pat Sabatini taking on Lucas Almeida. Pat Sabatini, a minus 190 betting favorite, plus 160 for Lucas Almeida. Pat Sabatini is 9100 on DK, $20 on FanDuel. Almeida, 7100 on DK, $11 on FanDuel. In terms of a cheap play on FanDuel, I don't mind getting to Almeida just because, Pete, I think there are some question marks here on Sabatini massive question marks and i love pat sabatini and i love that entire henzo gracie philly you know establishment um there's massive red flags here with sabatini it's about absorbing a shot i have zero faith that he can absorb any shot we've seen it time and time again he gets dropped he gets hurt he gets wobbled his striking is not good defensively he does just enough to make you respect it on the feet so that it can open up an opportunity in his wrestling uh, Jamal Emers nearly had him out before he leg locked him. Damon Jackson, not known for his striking at all. Uh, he has solid hands, nothing crazy. That was just a complete, uh, I, I will say that was a, an outperformance if you've ever seen one. Damon Jackson just, you know, fighting for more than just money in that fight and had a ton of motivation and, you know, landed some shots and looked to him good against Patrick Sabatini, caught him cold. I think a guy in Lucas Almeida can do the same exact thing. I mean, if if he's still alive in the second or third round and you haven't gotten him out of there, which it's very hard to do so, he's alive to land a shot and knock you out. I wish his takedown defense wasn't so bad because I would be picking him here against Pat Sabatini. But his takedown defense is very, very poor. He likes to – he's okay with being on his back because he throws up submissions from his back. 
but against a control oriented grappler and Patrick Sabatini, that is like the worst thing you can do. You need to get back to your feet. And even when he does get back to his feet, a lot of his regional tape is just constantly Matt returns, Matt returns. So as much as I want to pick Lucas Almeida from the knockout upside in the red flags that Sabatini has, I'm still going to side with the grappler because I just think that he's going to outgrind Lucas Almeida and that knockout shot never comes. That doesn't mean I'm not going to avoid Lucas Almeida though, because if he wins, I think he scores fantastic. Mm-hmm. 7,100. I don't think that he has any room to beat Sabatini in the decision. It is knockout or bust against Sabatini. And the likelihood is, I'd probably say three out of 10 times he lands that knockout shot against Sabatini. So I'm okay with getting to him at 7,100, but I'm expecting this fight to be a, a very popular play within my lineups. And, and of course, as you look at ownership projections, obviously ownership projections are going to change because of, of the two fights that we've lost over the last 24 hours. I mean, Almeida is the guy that everyone's looking to. And, and Pete, I think it's kind of what we both talked about. You know, you have the, the question marks with Pat Sabatini, but man, he gets it to the ground. Yeah, he might submit him in round one. He might submit him in round two. And and look, and we both love that team up there in Philly. I mean, I'll, I'll just tell you that there's a guy on PFL we're going to talk about a little bit later, uh, hey, a part of that team to, to pay attention to as well. But uh, in terms of an underdog, like if, if you're over, you know, whatever optimizer you might be using. For me, I use Fantasy Cruncher. Is if I will be create when I create a group of underdogs I want to get to, Almeida is going to be in that group. You know, I, I last week I went heavy on, on the groups and it it didn't work out for me. I just, you know, when I was and I think we as DFS players we all go through this. Like I was like, how much is too much, Charles Oliver? And like I was at one point, I was at eighty percent of my twenty max, and oh, I was like, "Yeah." And, I, and like, and you know, when you see that in, in your optimize, you're like, "Oh, is that too high?" You know, and yeah, yeah it should have been one hundred percent. I will tell you this: which fight, which fight killed me last week? I'm trying to remember, um, but it it, it did. It was an interesting fight. I was mean, it Jack Nate Landwehr? Yes, it was. It was Nate Land where he screwed me. Yes, he did. Um, you know, and it, oh, it's dude, exactly how exactly how Jason projected that fight, um, and if, how most people projected it. It was if, just a a good Danny Gay performance. If there was ten more seconds left in that second round, he knocks him and he finishes the fight. Yeah, you know, because Nate did not know where he was at. No, no, not at all. <laughs> that that's that. Every time we see that, you know, you see that fire walking back, it's like, uh oh. He don't know where he's at. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, but uh, but yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's just. I mean, that's when you get and and I and I find myself doing it more on pay per view events where I get much heavier on groups than say I do on a fight night card. Like, hmm. I I don't you know. I mean, Sarukian is a safe pick to go all in on this week, but yeah, it, it's a sour issue for me in terms of that one. Next up, we got Manuel Torres taking on Nicholas Moda. Uh, Moda is a plus one fifty five betting underdog, minus one eighty for Torres. Torres eighty nine hundred DK, seventeen dollars on Fanduel, and then for Nicholas Moda seventy three hundred on DK, fourteen dollars on Fanduel. Pete. Yeah, this fight's going to be fireworks. I, I don't see how this lightweight clash doesn't deliver. Um, we have Nicholas Moda here rebounding off of his debut defeat to Jim Miller, which doesn't look so bad in hindsight, um, and picking up a first-round victory over Cameron Van Camp through a beautiful cross hook, uh, kind of leaped in on the hook and just dropped Cameron Van Camp en route to a first-round finish. You have Manuel Torres on the opposite side who made quick work of Frank Camacho in round one en route to a first-round KO. I will tell you that historically – um, Nicholas Moda has been chinned and knocked out or knocked down in a ton of his fights, uh, four, I believe, or three at least. Um, and Manuel Torres, there's no feeler punches when he's throwing. There, there's no, he's setting things up in a way where it's all power shots. Um, and, and he just bites down on his mouthpiece and he slings it. I would probably say that he does not have the best cardio over 15 minutes because of how hard it is to just throw 100% all the time. Um, but it's success. He's, he finds success with it. That doesn't mean I'm not going to get to Nicholas Moda here over over 15 minutes, probably in round two and round uh, late round two and round three. He might be the better fighter. But I have to side with the guy who has absolute missiles attached to his hands, and that is Manuel Torres. And I've seen Moda chinned and hurt numerous times. And 
the the aggressiveness of Manuel Torres at 8,900. Like for me personally, I, I think that it's a hell of a play and I'm going to be targeting this fight one way or another. I think that it's a, a very confident lean towards Manuel Torres, but anytime people are trading, trading leather, anything can happen with the four ounce gloves. So give me Manuel Torres here at 8,900 and knock out Nicholas Moda. I would say this uh, as as looking at projections, I think he's uh, meaning Torres. I think he's an interesting captain play or MVP play over on Fanduel. If, you, if you're looking to go that route, there I, I do give a slight edge Torres, but I think you, you broke it down there perfectly. There next up, we got Muslim Salikov taking on Nicholas Dalby. Uh, Salikov is a minus one ninety betting favorite, plus one sixty for Dalby. Salikov is ninety two hundred on DK, seventeen dollars on Fanduel, where Dalby is seven thousand on DK, thirteen dollars on Fanduel, and. Uh, let me just say this, uh, a little conversation for the show. I, I kind of know where Pete's thinking here. Yes, you do. And I could be on an island. I I don't know, but I'm going to be siding with Nicholas Dalby here at 7,000. Um, it's going to be my underdog of the week. Am I expecting a finish? No, but at that price point at 7,000, it opens up a ton of opportunity salary-wise, roster construction-wise. Um, you can get to a ton of these appealing 9,000 options, and Armin Sarukian is one of them. Um, I, I really don't think it's a bold call and I'm really like confused as to how wide these are. I understand that Dalby gets rocked in numerous fights, but like offensively, he has good volume. He has good takedowns. He has a well-rounded skill set where we know Muslim Salikov is a specialist and sometimes a low volume specialist. And, you know, against Andre Fialo in the third round, he had only thrown 95 significant strikes throughout that throughout almost three rounds you know what i mean and, and it was 11 minutes but still 95 significant strikes it's nothing nothing too impressive where it's like nicholas dalby whether he's the better striker or not he's the guy who's more active he threw 248 significant strikes against warley alvis he, he landed 119 he will leg kick you he will throw good combination uh, combinations i like the dexterity he has within his legs to go up top and sneak in some head kicks Never mind, he has a grappling edge here against Muslim Salikov. Uh, he, he really does. And I know that, you know, Nicholas Dalby has been hurt and then finished against Jesse Ronson, and that was overturned. Um, but offensively, he can go to the takedowns if he needs to. In his debut against uh, Eliza Zaleski Dos Santos, he got six of 10 takedown attempts. Um, he attempted seven takedowns against Daniel Rodriguez. He didn't find any success with it. But it's something in the back, in his back pocket that Muslim Salikov does not have. Muslim Salikov is a specialist when it comes to striking, um, a liability if he does get taken down. Salikov can get his own takedowns, but I feel like that that's just trying to win a round, whereas I think Dalby can actually have success within that. And uh, I'm going to be picking uh, Nicholas Dalby to win a decision here at 7,000. I just think the odds are too wide. Salikov should go out there and just put together a, a dominant performance given that price tag, and I just don't see how he does so. So give me Dalby here at 7000 Yeah, I don't mind that. I mean, I think the one thing, and you were talking about the Dalby being knocked down, I think the one fight that really sticks out to you, which kind of scared you a little bit, is that Jesse Ronson fight, uh, which yeah. ultimately was overturned to a no contest because Jesse uh, failed his post-fight drug test. But when you look over Muslim Salikov, the, the thing that always concerns you is if you're rostering Salikov, you're, you're this has got to be knockout or bust because he's just not a volume puncher. He's a counter striker. I mean, the guy's got clearly has a ton of power. But to me, Pete, that that's a concern in, in Salikov. When I'm talking about GPP lines, like I understand why to get to this fight in terms of GPPs, but like I also feel like we're playing with danger here with a 9200 fighter who just doesn't throw a ton. Exactly, and and that's I can't back a guy at 9200 in hopes that he lands that you know that that kill shot. Because that may not come till round three. And if it comes in round three, you're not going to pay off that 9,200 price tag. I'd much rather just take a dog shot on Dalby who can win a decision, who will be the better minute winner of the two. So uh, if I'm wrong, I'm okay with it. And I just think, you know, it's a salary, like stay away from that salary of Salikov, whether he wins or loses. 
Of course, if you want to test our knowledge against myself and Pete and the rest of our community, be sure to join that DraftKings contest. The link is below for tomorrow's contest there. $10 entry fee and uh, top three uh, pay does do pay out, so be sure to check out that. Next up, we got a matchup between Alessandro Costa and Jimmy Flick. Costa is a minus 260 betting favorite, plus 210 for Jimmy Flick. Costa 9400 on DK, $21 on FanDuel. And then for Flick, he is 6800 on DK, $9 on FanDuel, Pete. So I view flyweights similar to how I view women's MMA, where I, I think that underdogs can pop a little bit more within those lighter divisions, um, just given the work rate, especially because a lot of them are so talented in the flyweight division. Jimmy Flick's a liability when it comes to striking, mm-hmm. though. I mean, he's been knocked out numerous times. Um, he is facing a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt in Alessandro Costa, but Costa has dynamite in his hands. So Costa will definitely be the better striker of the two um but costa is coming off a third round knockout to amir albazi and albazi's a hell of a lot better than jimmy flick even though jimmy flick is a talented submission artist so um i i think that this is a an interesting fight to target i wish costa was like 8800 <laughs> because i would be truly recommending him but uh 9400 it becomes a salary pri- uh, a salary play and it's like do i get to him or do i get to somebody who's a little bit cheaper with higher upside, um, Jimmy Flick, if he if he gets your back, he can submit anybody, black belt or not. If he catches you in his triangles, he can submit you. So, like, I, I'm still going to get to a 6,800 Jimmy Flick, but there's a point in time where Jimmy Flick didn't want to do this MMA, you know, MMA thing mm-hmm. anymore. Um, and I don't like hearing a lot of fighters that have one foot in, one foot out, um, especially when you're going up against somebody who can match your grappling. And in most of Jimmy Flick's success, he's kind of the better grappler in, in a lot of his wins. So give me Alessandro Costa, 9,400 to knock out Jimmy Flick. But I'm a little confused as to how I'm going to get to the exposure. I, I'm not sure if I'm going to be smashing it or not. Um, the ownership seems appropriate for about mm-hmm. what I'm going to do for, for Alessandro Costa. I think Costa is another interesting potential uh, MVP over there at FanDuel based on what we're seeing in terms of ownership there. I mean, uh, another thing I would put is, uh, you know, and I thought you broke it down perfectly, talking about Jimmy Flick here, uh, cardio concerns I have with him is if yeah. this thing hits late second, early third round and 125 pounds, man, you got to have cardio. And I just, to me, it's just, there's too many liabilities for me to have trust in Jimmy Flick. You know, like you mentioned about it, it wasn't that long ago, this guy retired because he didn't like the pay and then he came back. And uh, to me, it's submission or bust. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. And that's submission or bust similar to Lucas Almeida, who's KO or bust. So I'll probably treat them similar. Um, and they're both pretty close in salary, uh, $300 separates the two. Um, but you have to think of if these fighters win, do they score well? And I think it's, yes, if they win, I think that yeah. they have to get a finish. Yeah. And, and especially if you want to get away from say the ownership of the main event and co-main event, I think this is a way to try to, to differentiate your, your roster when you're playing in those big entry uh, fields. Next up, we got Christian Quinones taking on Kung Ho Kang. Kung Ho Kang, a plus 125 betting underdog, minus 150 for Quinones. Quinones is 8800 on DK, $16 on FanDuel. And for Kang, he is 7400 DK, $14 on FanDuel, Pete. Yeah. So I think Kyung Ho Kang is going to be a very popular underdog. And, uh, I was a little surprised to see he was the underdog because I just by name value, I didn't remember who Christian Canonis is. And then I went back and I started watching tape and I said, okay, I remember this kid. So Christian Canonis at 8,800 is interesting. I don't necessarily know if I love the price at all because I don't foresee him picking up an early finish over Kyung Ho Kang. He has really, really aggressive and strong striking. Um, And I actually think that he has okay takedown defense and submission skills but obviously he likes to to win his fights on the feet um constantly his opponents are looking to take him to the mat and if kyung ho kang is smart he's going to look to take him to the mat my issue with kyung ho kang is that you know sometimes depending on the matchup he's okay with just striking um and if he doesn't find early success with the takedowns he can somewhat abandon it and i think this fight's going to come down to damage versus control Kyung Ho Kang is going to take down Christian Quinones, but I don't know if he can keep him down. 
And Quinones will be the bigger guy. He will be the stronger of the two. Um, may not have the most skill on the mat like Kyung Ho Kang is nice and savvy. Christian Quinones is good. I've seen him in some of the deepest arm bars and submissions, and he's worked his way out. Uh, so he's clearly elevated that game and developed developed his ground game to a point. Um, I'm picking Christian Quinones to win a decision here of a Kyung Ho Kang. And, and the reason being is when I go and I look at a lot of Kyung Ho Kang fights, fighters that are okay in my eyes, he's going split decisions to. Uh, Lee Ping Wan, Brandon Davis, Ricardo Hamosh, Michinori Tanaka. I mean, some of those are quite some time ago. But if you are notorious for being in close fights, I'm probably going to go the other way, especially if I have a lean or a read within my fight film watching. So I'm going to be picking Christian Canonas here at 8,800 to win a decision, but I don't hate the dog shot at Kyung Ho King at 7,400. Yeah, I mean, it is one of those dogs I do want to take a shot on here. Um, but uh, it's, I, and full disclosure, I haven't even tried to make some rosters yet. So that'll, yeah. it usually, they'll be probably tonight while I'm watching Bellator's, probably when I'll be making my rosters and reserving all, all the contests here tonight. Next up, we got uh, Denise Bondar taking on Carlos Hernandez. Bondar is a minus 130 betting favorite, plus 110 for Hernandez. Bondar, 7900 on DK, $15 on Fandle. Hernandez, 8300 on DK, $15 on Fandle. And, and I think no matter whether we're talking about DraftKings or FanDuel, Pete. I think this is a fight we got to take a lot of consideration for, but uh, high volatility, would that, that be about the right way to describe this one? Yeah, I mean, untr- untrustworthy, you know, characteristics are part of both fighters, right? Like, you don't know how Den- uh, Dennis Bondar is going to rebound off of that gruesome arm break against Malcolm Gordon. He was caught in an arm bar early on. Uh, it must have tweaked some, you know, pretty bad. And then a couple throws later, planting on that hand, that elbow just went. So uh, looking to see how he rebounds. And Dennis Bondar offensively is good. Like he'll go to the takedowns pretty well. And if he's smart, he should be looking to do so against Carlos Hernandez. Uh, you know, look to take him down. Don't stand on the feet with him. Uh, try to work towards a submission victory. I think that's going to be hard to come by, though. And Carlos Hernandez, out of my friend's camp at Valley Flow Fighting System, uh, you know, I, I really think that my buddy Mike Valley is going to have Carlos Hernandez nice and sharp. That entire team, we've seen them become a, a nice staple, and they just always are fight ready everywhere, like in all areas of the game. Carlos Hernandez wasn't slick enough to deal with the jiu-jitsu skills of Alan Nascimento, but Nascimento is a very, very talented fighter, and I don't – view Dennis Bondar on the same level as, as Nascimento. Yes, regionally, Bondar has a great record, but the strength of schedule is pretty soft, if you want my honest opinion. So mm-hmm. Carlos Hernandez here at 8,300, 8, he might be one of the most interesting plays for me, and I might go overweight to him uh, just because Bondar on the feet leaves his chin straight up in the air sometimes. He keeps his head on the center line, and I think a guy in Carlos Hernandez can drop him, rock him um, en route to – possibly finishing him um and just or just a decisive victory but it's this it's a salary play for me at 8300 um and I'm, I'm okay with getting a little different so give me carlos hernandez to win a decisive victory here and especially at the ownership that i'm seeing right now i'm going to be a lot more than that i'm going to be a little bit more aggressive than what the entire field is doing in hopes that he can find a finish but the most likely outcome is a carlos hernandez decision win you know, I was talking to a regional matchmaker this week, and, and we were talking about these fighters who, who have these great records, but the strength of competition may not be the best. And and this this matchmaker said, he goes, he goes, it's usually one or two situations. It's either A, no one will fight them. And so they've yep. just to get fights, they have to take these fights. Or B, they're extremely selective in who they fight. And I, uh, there was one fighter's name that came up, and he just said, he goes, I just don't like trying to match him because I know half the offers he's going to decline because he doesn't like the matchup. I mean, that that's just kind of that, – that's the reality of the regional scene. That's why sometimes, like on Tapology, I, I think for the most part, I probably overanalyze that a little bit too much uh, unless you kind of know whether or not that, that fighter is – what's kind of going on. Like I'll tell you, I was talking to uh T-Shay who's going to be the main event of the upcoming unified card against Eric Shelton, the, the UFC vet. And he told me 60 fighters have turned down a fight against him this year. Yes. Yeah, that's crazy. And it's also due to the region too, right? Like, um, you know, good records in certain areas of the world are not the same across the board. Mm-hmm. You see anybody coming out of Alaskan FC and it's kind of just like, 
it's I'm, like I'm just, it's, it's a softball matchup, you know what I mean? And for the most part, it's be. just certain areas of the world are a little behind when it comes to the growth of mixed martial arts. Look, if I came to you and said, hey, Pete, man, um, so I go, hey, man, uh, we got a title fight. It's at 55. We got to make 55 in six days. But it's Alaska FC. Shit, I'm making it. <laughs> I'm making it one way or another. I'm making it one way or another. Um, but yeah, exactly. It's you, you don't know the ins and outs of the management, the matchmaking or anything. But if you are wise to the game, you can kind of spot little little things about records. And, uh, you know, Bondar, especially like for me, the, the craziest part is like when people go backwards. Like, like they have like a massive, massive step up in competition. And then just to stay active, they fight a guy. Say they they picked up a victory of a guy who's 15 and 8 or something. It's like, oh, that's a good win. Okay. That should possibly be the next step into the bigger show. And then like three months go by and they get a little, you know, a little impatient and they take a fight against a guy who's 2 and 0 or 2 and 1. It's like, yeah. what the hell are you doing? Like to me, that's the back backwards growth. And, uh, you know, it, you you can spot the the inefficiencies within matchmaking and also within mixed martial artist records. Uh, there's somebody I know in the industry, and uh, this was years ago. He came up with a line: "You got cans, we got hands." There we go. Yep, <laughs> I like that. We we all, and for people in the industry, we we know it. We know what tomato can means. Coke can mean. We we know it all means there. Uh, next up, we got a female matchup. We got the uh, underdog here at plus one ninety, and Gabriel Fernandez take on Teresa Belita. Belita is a minus two thirty betting favorite. Ninety five hundred DK twenty two dollars over there on Fanduel. Fernandez she's sixty seven hundred on DK ten dollars on Fanduel. Pete. Yeah, so I mean, like, I understand the ninety five hundred price tag on Teresa Belita. Because that is like where I view her ceiling within this matchup. Because Gabriela Fernandez in her most recent fight against Jasmine Jasuda Vicious, she looked like a fish out of water on the mat. Um, and Jasmine Jasuda Vicious, rightly so, looked good last weekend um, against Miranda Maverick. And she was able to go out there and put good wrestling, good good top control, and just kind of outwork her opposition. You know, Gabriela Fernandez is a very physical uh, fighter who has good striking. But I saw elementary mistakes when she was on her back. Like you don't see fighters, you know, looking for underhooks or you don't see them doing any of the proper things to get back to their feet, never mind guard retention. And I just didn't see it. So Gabriela Fernandez for me is a massive red flag. Now, on the opposite side, Teresa Bleda possesses some of the similar skills that Jasmine Jasuda Vicious has. There is going to be room for improvement in both ways. Like Teresa Blada did just fight Natalia Silva, who is possibly on her way to fighting for the title. The way that she is just going through her opposite her opposition, uh, Teresa Blada goes out there and just completely, you know, taxes her gas tanks. Like she'll put the pedal to the metal, attempt takedowns, ground and pound submissions, everything. Um, but I think the longer the fight goes, she is a complete cardio liability. So. 9,500, she can go out there and ground Gabriela Fernandez, uh, Matt return her, ground and pound her, work her way towards a submission or, or ground and pound finish. Absolutely, 9,500. I can also see the physically imposing Gabriela Fernandez fighting for underhooks. That has got to be one of the most important developments within this fight camp for Gabriela Fernandez is drilling underhooks constantly because you can defend a lot of takedowns in MMA, especially if you have a good underhook game against the cage. It's imperative. You have to be fighting for underhooks. Um, you know, and I actually think that she can surprise some people here at 6,700. I told you I, I'm going to be prioritizing this fight. I'm going to be projecting a Teresa Blada ground and pound or submission, but I just have a terrible feeling that Gabriela Fernandez is either A, going to knock out Teresa Blada or B, going to do enough to uh, to win a, a, a matchup on the feet en route to a decision win at 6,700. So with all that being said, I'm going to prioritize this fight for a lot of my lineups. Um, and I'm okay with being wrong because I just think that one way or another, we're going to have a necessity, a part of our, our lineup, where you're going to need to get to this score. 
Yeah, it's uh, once again. I mean, we got some high price nine thousand options. I know we got a question where I answered in the show about ranking these fighters, but uh, yeah, that that's going to be kind of the trick with this one. Next up, we got Ronnie Lawrence taking on Dan Argetta. Ronnie Lawrence is a minus one ninety betting favorite, plus one sixty for Argetta. Lawrence eighty seven hundred on DK, nineteen dollars on FanDuel. Argetta seventy five hundred on DK, twelve dollars on FanDuel. And of course, uh, Ronnie Lawrence. It's been a year since we've seen him inside competition. Of course, that was that loss to uh, Kakarmanov, who just took him down at will. After he had been a takedown artist, and Daniel Hargleta has shown the ability to get the fight to the ground, Pete. Yeah, interesting fight, man. Really interesting fight, and one where I'm kind of scratching my head all week because you know Ronnie Lawrence is just fantasy goodness. Like 134 against Vince Cachero, 131 against Mana Martinez. The performance, the performance against Sayed Yokob uh, Kakramanov leaves me with a, a question: Is how good is Ronnie Lawrence? Like. Because he looked like defensively he didn't know how to defend takedowns or he had a bad weight cut or Kakramanov is just that damn good and strong. I do believe that Kakramanov is a very talented fighter. So it's a good loss if you want to look at it like that. It's not like he lost to somebody who's less, you know, uh, you know, kind of below him within the UFC. It's just that Ronnie Lawrence is usually a volume guy and he was getting outworked at his own game. So that's kind of the most fascinating part about that. Um, I will say that the better minute winner in this matchup between Lawrence and Argetta will be Ronnie Lawrence, but that doesn't mean that he will be effective. Um, activity does not always mean effectiveness, and Argetta possesses a, a pretty powerful left hand and good wrestling in his own right. So I'm very, very interested with this matchup. I told you pre-show that I might even get to 100% of this fight, just one way or another. Mm-hmm. Either Lawrence is going to ground Argetta over and over, and we're going to see Argetta get back to his feet, which could really boost the totals of Ronnie Lawrence. Or we see Lawrence on the outside showcasing that karate-esque type of striking. <laughs> I know it's like a work in progress. It's not horrible. It's okay. But you can clearly see that he's not natural at doing so. Um, and he's a liability to get knocked down on his butt. We've seen it numerous times. I got questions about his chin. Argetta on the flip side, it I can actually see him – if he gets on top position, he has very, very powerful elbows, good wrestling in his own right, and a powerful left hand. So I love this fight from a DFS uh, aspect. I'm going to get to it a ton. I don't think that their wrestling is going to negate enough where there's not going to be fantasy points. I think it's going to be they both find success, and then they both get back to their feet. So I think that one way or another, we're going to have a great performance. I'm gonna be le- I really want to pick Dan Argetta. But I'm going to be leaning with the activity of Ronnie Lawrence at 8,700. All in all, don't care who I get in my lineups. I, I was literally just starring fires on my pick for our straight up five picks. And yeah, it, it's it's a tough underdog week that you feel a lot of confidence in. Uh, Kevin asked about was Kakramanov cut. Yes, he was. Um, more of the story. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh-huh. I, it's, it's not exactly because it, it, he wasn't it, cut for skills. It, yeah, it wasn't that. It wasn't that. I've heard some things, but uh, but yeah, it's uh, sometimes there's, there's more things that go involved into why the UFC decides that they no longer want to be in X fighters business. But let's move on to our first fight of the night. That'll be Modestus Bukakis taking on Zach Polga. Bukakis is a minus two hundred betting fair, plus one seventy for Polga, and uh, over on DK Bukakis nine thousand eighteen dollars on Fanduel, and then Polga seventy two hundred on DK eleven dollars on Fanduel. Pete. I'm snickering because it's the first fight of the night, and Jason likes Bukalkis and Palga, so I don't really know how his how his exposure is going to go. I, I will tell you that it's a compelling light heavyweight bout. Bukalkis is clearly um, hitting a stride, where you know outside the UFC he worked his way back in, took a, an opportunity against Tyson Pedro, who was like the boogeyman, nobody wanted to fight him, and then he was just a little bit better, a little sharper than Tyson Pedro, who gassed over 15 minutes. So you have Bukowskis on a little bit of a heater here at 9,000. Zach Palga, a guy who is supposed to win the ultimate fighter. Um, and then, in my opinion, that's that's kind of like my impression of the season. He looked like he was the better fighter throughout the entire season. Uh, got knocked out against Muhammad Usman, who has power, but not really known for knocking people out, more so of just grinding them and working for takedowns. Um, you know, he rebounded okay against Jordan Wright, but I didn't think that that was a good performance. I, I thought that he should have knocked out Jordan Wright. 
what he did so and what he did in that matchup was attempt six takedowns. So it seemed like no matter no matter my belief or my impression of Jordan Wright, people inside the cage are respecting him enough where they they are shooting takedowns, shooting takedowns because because they don't like what they're seeing. They may not be comfortable with the stance or whatnot. I think that Bukowskis at nine thousand is interesting. He has power. He has the skills. He has been knocked out in his own right. I'm going to be picking nine thousand Bukowskis. I don't like the salary by any means, um, but like maybe he can find the chin of Zach Palga. Uh, if Muhammad Usman was able to, and Bukowskis, I'm I'm leaning more towards that. This is just going to go the distance, and Bukowskis is going to get his hand raised. Look, I'm still a believer that Palga was the most talented mixed martial artist on that season, the Ultimate Fire. Yeah. But of course, you know he was a 205er fighting at heavyweight, which, I mean, look, we, we see that happen a lot in the ultimate fighter where a fighter goes up a weight class because they view it as their best way to get into the UFC. Um, it, this is one of those fights that I don't have a lean either way. I mean, if I was going to lean, I, I would lean Bukakis. I think that you've seen the changes that he's made from his first stint in the UFC now into the second stint. But, um, you know, Paul is just a guy that, you know, and, and Pete, you know this, like you talk to people in the industry that you really value their opinion. I can't tell you how many people were so high on this kid. I mean, so yeah. high on this kid, and if he doesn't get a win tomorrow night, his days in the UFC might be over. You know, that's another thing that you, we have to kind of decipher, and it's difficult for us and just for everybody in general. When P, so many people are going to bat for somebody and you hear this name over and over mm -hmm. and over, yeah, it makes you wonder, are they going to bat for this person because they believe in their skills so much? Or just because that person is such a great teammate that they, you know what I mean? Like they've helped well, so many other people like Curtis Blades, like Zach Powell has done a lot in the training room. I've heard great things, but is it more about just, you know, that team type of environment or is it actually due to his skills? But when I hear it from people who are not associated with that fighter, not associated okay. with that gym, that's okay. where I think I put more credence into it. Like, like if it's someone from that gym telling me about him, like, hey, man, this guy is a killer in the gym. Da, da. Okay, all right. But then, like, if I'm sitting there talking to somebody in South Florida about a fighter in Colorado, I take a lot of weight into that. Yeah, I'm with you on that. That, that, that makes a ton of sense, and I would agree with that. Um, and that's where you kind of just have to – see through all the BS sometimes <laughs> and just like the loyalty because everybody's going to talk up their friends. And we've seen like Nate mm -hmm. Diaz go to bat for who is it? What was that kid's name? Avila. That, yeah. No. The kid's bad. That kid's bad. Yeah. I mean, I mean, how many times? I mean, and, and look, there's, there's, and this is why, um, I was having a conversation with our fighter because we were talking about betting odds, and he's like, you know, I just don't understand how these betting odds kind of come about. And it's just like sometimes there's things we see on film on the regional scene, and we're like, okay, we think this thing's going to correlate. Then you get to the UFC or Bellator, PFL, and they just falter on, on the main stage for whatever reason. Maybe it's because maybe, you know, I mean, look, there are times that definitely I think fires don't test themselves on the on the local scene coming up um that's why like i put more weight into like an lfa promotion because i know in lfa they're not putting together gimme fights you go to lfa you know you're going to fight tough competition that's why like i i think that's one of those things when you're looking at regional scene tape i think you do have to look at the promotion that they're fighting mm -hmm. for and maybe have a little bit of understanding about that but uh let's get into our our straight up fight picks here main event uh this is another one I, i'm going back and forth on but uh give me martin vittori yeah, Marvin Vittori lean for me. Clear Sarukian uh, in the co-main. Sarukian. I'm going to go Duncan, but I think Trojan gets it done. It's via decision. Duncan. Uh, this, is another, another, this is another underdog I really want to get to, but I, it's the takedown liabilities of why I have to go with Sabatini. But, man, this it's, it's a volatility fight. 100%. I'm still going to go Sabatini, but for DFS, you already know what I'm thinking. Yeah, uh, I'll go Manuel Torres. Torres? Another one. This is another one I keep going back and forth on. I'm going to go Salkov, but no I, problem. I, I, I don't trust it. Yeah, Dolby's been dropped a lot, so I get it. But I'm still going to go with Dolby here as the underdog. Costa, and he may be one of my guys I have the most faith in here. I like Costa as well. Uh, I like Kang for DFS, but a straight-up pick, I'll go Quinones. Yeah, Quinones for me. Uh, I gotta go, Carlos Hernandez. I, I can't trust Bondar. Yep, Hernandez. Uh, Bleda's gonna be the pick for me. Yep. 
Uh, I'm going to go Ronnie Lawrence, but man, I'm, 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 I'm a little concerned, a little concerned. Yeah. Ronnie Lawrence for me as well. And then, uh, opening fight, give me Bukakis. Yeah. Bukakis for me as well. Um, let me set up some uh, questions over from discord that came in a little bit before the show. Uh, Tristan saying, uh, rank the nine K options and best takedown upside. Also best leverage play. So we have six, 9,000 fires this week. Pete. So we got Sarukian, Sabatini, Salikov, Costa, Belita, and Bukakis. Um, I mean, look, I, I think from ranking them just from a, a GPP option, Sarukian's got to be number one, but because of that price point, we need 120 points. So I think you got to put it a little bit there. When it comes to the rest of the 9K options, my, my next one would be Costa's my number two. Agree. Number th- Now, this is where I think it becomes really interesting of where you go three through six. Do you have a, like, if I was going to say my number three, I think it's either Sabatini or, or, or Teresa Blita. Yeah, man. I think the upside is with Blada, like massive upside, but I just don't trust that division. I'm going to go Sabatini. Yeah, I mean, I, I would go, to me, Sab- it would be Sabatini three, Blada four. Number five would then be Pukakis, and six would be Salikov. Mm-hmm. Now, now, and also Tristan was asked about ranking it from a takedown upside. Um Obviously, I would eliminate Salikov from that equation. I would eliminate Bukakis from those situations. I, I don't see either one of those guys really going for takedowns. I don't see Costa either. He shouldn't. Jimmy Flick's, if, Jimmy Flick's really good on the mat, so like yeah, he yeah. shouldn't. comes down to Sarukian, Sabatini, and Blada. Sarukian clear one for me. It's Blade, You can't go wrong with Blada or Sabatini from what their, their oppositions have shown in fight film. But, like, I clearly have more faith in Hensel Gracie Philly, so I'm going to be leaning Sabatini over Blada. Yeah, no question. Uh, best leverage plays. Um, I mean, look, you know, there, there's some dart throws to throw out there. Um, I want to see what the, the Christian Duncan ownership ultimately ends up looking like. Uh, some other Almeida, I mean, he's he's going to be highly owned, so it's not really a, a leverage spot there. Uh, maybe Dolby is a little bit of, of a leverage spot play. Hernandez, I think it would be another one. To throw out there, and then probably the first fight of the night. I mean, I, I don't I'm think that I so I don't think the, said that. I don't think the first fight of the night is getting enough total ownership between both sides, and that's that's one of the things that I have really been incorporating into my line of construction. Is you know when I get to Saturday and and I'm I'm pulling up the ownership projections, I'm going okay, what is the fight that is combined getting less than thirty five total percent? Exactly, Jason. And and just and and when we're looking at these, like I'm a, I'm a big twenty max player, so to me, where can I potentially find leverage? And and I think that's one of the things. And you know, to me, ownership projections is just a, a tool that I'm using, you know, to help create my mindset. But that is a big thing I'm doing now. Is what is a fight that's just being underowned? Yeah, and I'm so glad because I was really going to say that because I I thought that I was the only one who noticed that, but like. It is the first fight of the night's massively going under owned to a point now where you know me, I'm just so damn risky that I don't I, I might like super smash that and just get to in a, an ungodly amount of Bukowskis and Palga. Um the most likely situation is that it goes fifteen, but I have question marks on both of their chins, and there is some sneaky takedown upside if Palga wants to lace up some wrestling shoes. So I might I might have to do it, especially in the twenty max. Uh, value plays underneath 8K on DraftKings. Um, in terms from a GPP aspect, uh, Lucas Almeida, but like we've talked about the fact of, you know, the, the defensive liability of, of getting taken down. Um, Moda, I don't mind getting there just because of how that fight could play out, even though I do like uh, Torres in that situation. And uh, outside of that, uh, maybe Argetta would probably be another one that would throw in there. Yeah, so, I mean, for me, for, like, the underdogs that I'm taking shots on, uh, going to be Argetta, Dalby, you already know. I'm going to take a ton of Dalby, um, Zach Pauga, and also Gabriela Fernandez. 
Uh, Spencer over in the chat asked about uh, favorite cheap plays on FanDuel. Um, I, I think uh, Almeida is one of them. But I also say that Bondar Hernandez, both priced at $15 on FanDuel. I think that is a, a fight that you definitely have to take a look at there. Uh, also, uh, Kevin says, he goes, I'm doing a 20 max this week. My core, I think, I'm going with is Lawrence Vittori, Torres, and mixing and matching other three thoughts um and then um andrew says i think we could see three four dogs make the optimal um i think two to three dogs is probably andrew the way to go to optimal um kevin in terms of your 20 max i don't mind that that core those top three i don't know if i would make vittori a core play for me in a 20 max yeah you know it's it's really tough and we talked about it like exposures for the main event but like we just need, uh, you know, six fighters to outperform that main event. I really think it's possible. And, uh, you know, it, especially in even contest, you can really see them, you know, underperform given their norm because they're not in an easy matchup. Uh, and then another comment was Armstrong can cost too much. Yeah, I mean, it, it's a high price tag on DK. No question about it. But, uh, I mean, there there is a reason he's a 11-1 betting favorite. And it will likely come off is even a bigger betting favorite. I just think that, you know, if, if Joaquin's going to pull it off, it's him going out there and just coming out firing. Uh, someone asked about uh, also any PFL and Bellator plays tonight. Here's what I like on Bellator. Uh, I like three favorites. Patricio Pitbull, minus 165. Corey Anderson, minus 175. If you want to get a little bit better, I would look at Corey Anderson wins via decision. And also, I like Daniel James as a pick him as He's minus 110. On PFL, we talk about the Henzo Gracie team over there. Um, Patrick Brady, heavyweight, he's plus 230. That is my underdog over there on PFL tonight. I like it. You know, I will say that there was a couple names that I was looking at. Cody Law was a 4-1 to favorite. Now he's boosted a 7-1 to favorite. Um, I still believe in the skill set and the team. I think it's probably an easier matchup than what he's had. Uh, Ante D'Elia um, has been boosted to five uh, minus 500 favorite. I'm fine with that. I like him. Larissa Pacheco has gone from a minus 700 to a minus 1100 favorite. Obviously, I like those, and those are huge, huge favorites. But if you piece them together, they should all win. Um, there was somebody else I was interested in. And back on Monday, Ramazan Kurmagomedov was minus four to uh, minus four hundred. He's now down to minus one ninety. So something must have happened. Some money has come on Jaleel Willis. So I'll probably remove him from my parlay. But uh, it, it's going to be massive favorites whenever you get into to Bellator and PFL and picking dog shots. So I'm okay with it. Um, Law Pacheco Delia, crazy crazy odds and all that. But you get almost two to one odds between those three. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, Kevin Aston, best three pick parlay. I will tell you this right now. Here's the one thing I've learned about betting on Bellator: don't bet against Patricio Pitbull. Sergio Pettis is returning from a major knee injury. Now he's into this yeah. one. Now, of course, he's at 35. First he's time at fi- 35 fighting at 35. But to me, uh, I'd probably I would start a three pick parlay with with Patricio Pitbull, and then. Um, I would probably then, but my other two legs, I would go over to the UFC and I would probably go Manuel Torres at minus 180. And then I would probably go Alessandro Costa. Costa is the third leg. What are you going to do when Sergio Pettis ruins your parlay and just lands that shot because P- Patricio Pitbull is down to 35? I mean, he could do it. The skills of Pitbull exceed Sergio Pettis. I just don't, you know me, I don't like it when fighters go down. When they're but, you know, had such success, and he's thirty. Oh, he just doesn't want to go to thirty-five. He ain't going to twenty-five, does he? He's already talking about he wants he wants to go down to twenty-five. And I love potentially, I love and of course, you know they're introducing a hundred twenty-five pound title at the end of next month. Uh, Horiguchi's fighting uh, another Ryzen fighter, so I would think if you're Bellator, they would probably all be about Horiguchi and Pitbull. And I will say this: I was actually pretty floored. When I saw Scott Coker confirm Bellator's for sale, I was actually surprised that he admitted that. I like Scott Coker, and obviously, I have roots tied to Bellator, but like, I'm not signed by them. I want to be, so like, I, I want them to continue to grow. I don't want them to go nowhere other than up. And I, I think a merge would be great. I don't think it's likely to happen, but uh, we'll see. It would be the best thing for mixed martial arts. Yep. If the PFL and Bellator merged, but if they merge, 
you got to have fight people running the promotion. Agree. 100%. You can't have these other companies. You know what I mean? Like you need like you need Coker. Yeah, you do. Yeah. Bellator has fight people running that promotion. I'll, I'll tell you this about PFL. I don't know mm-hmm. this. I had someone reach out to me um, over the past couple of days and they had said to me, said, you know, Jason, I always thought you were kind of a hater on this whole PFL broadcast watching live suck because of the pacing. He oh, goes, horrible. he's like, dude, watch it live. I turned it off. I just couldn't take yeah. this whole wait time between fights. I go, told you, bro. Told you. It is not fun to watch live. When a purist like us is telling you that they need to change something, you know what I mean? Like you need to change something because we're very, very flexible. Then when you got us sitting here going, what the hell? Come on, like speed yeah. this up. But of course, uh, we got these fights coming up here tomorrow. Of course, be sure to join that DraftKings contest. Join our Discord channel, totally free to join. Of course, we'll be be back here next week. We got the fight card in Jacksonville, so in front of fans. And I am loving this main event. Josh Emmett, Ilya Taporia. Oh, bring on the violence, Pete. Yeah, it's going to be a hell of a fight card. Uh, Excited for that one. Excited to make some money for this. Uh, Make sure before you guys head out, you hit that like button for us. Subscribe to the channel. Help us get to our new goal of 1,000 subscribers. That's still been our goal. We're still slowly approaching it. Um, And, uh, you know, we really appreciate you guys. Join the Discord in our description below. And uh, good luck to you guys on Saturday. Look, I'm always down for fights in front of fans. Get out of the apex, please. Get in front of fans, man. It's, uh, oh, man. Some of these. I was looking at tickets for UFC Boston. And um, because my buddies and I, we wanted to go. Bro. You know me. I'm down to spend money. Bro, these people, the UFC has lost their damn mind. I'll stay home. Okay. I'll stay home. No problem at all. When they did the pay-per-view in Miami, the last row in top of the building, last row, the face was $600. Okay. I'm telling you right now. Okay. So they're almost $1,000 for upper bowl at (sighs) UFC Boston. That is ridiculous. I'm not spent. My buddy's like, come on, let's go. I'm like, dude, I've seen a ton of fights. There ain't no way I'm sitting up top. I'm sitting lower bowl, if anything, I, and that's going to run me almost $2,000. Here's where I think, and and this would be my advice to anyone who's going to um, a UFC, Bellator, PFL type show. Floor seats are the worst goddamn seats. I'm just telling you. I, I like the slight incline on the bottom row, though. I, I mean, I on, think on the bottom bowl. First bowl, midway up. Yeah, 100%. that's where you want to be. Exactly, because like you want to get like like you're just above that top of that cage, looking down. Mm-hmm. Those mm-hmm. to me are the best seats in the house. Agree. That's what I want, but that's going to be fifteen hundred to almost two thousand dollars, and that's crazy. We got to take you got to take down attorney. Here we go. Here we, here we go tomorrow. <laughs> and that, that could be taken down because of finding a fight that's going under owned, and that first fight of the night could be it. We'll see. I'm, I'm just saying, if you take down attorney, I, I have a feeling. Bree's going to yell at you because you woke Leah up. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. I got other things to spend money on. So, um, but yeah. Yeah. We appreciate you guys checking us out. It's always a blast doing these shows. Um, Help us hit our goal of a thousand subscribers and we'll continue to be back here every week. We do it because we love it and uh, appreciate everybody's support. And that's going to wrap it up for this episode of the Fight HQ preview for UFC Vegas 75. As Pete said, we'll be back here next week. Get you ready for UFC Jacksonville.